a good move. Why'd you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. Running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden and Aqua Teen Hunger Force Exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am watching through and talking about every Aqua Teen episode, one episode at a time. And the episode we are watching through and talking about this week is Season 2, Episode 16, Broodwitch. I haven't paid taxes in six years. I'm not getting busted by a sandwich. Broodwitch premiering November 2nd, 2003. And for the record, I am saying Broodwitch, not Blair Witch. So don't get confused. Broodwitch continuing our trend of just incredible Aqua Teen episodes. This one with an 8.8 out of 10 on IMDb. A very serious score here. And it is our highest rated over on IMDb of the season and just one of the highest rated episodes in general so we'll get into this episode and figure out why everyone likes it so dang much but before we get into the episode you know how this goes we've got some other stuff to talk about some aqua teen news some housekeeping all that good stuff real quick just want to say thank you to everybody for your outpouring of support both in terms of my mother passing away last month as well as my wedding last month too it's just been such an emotional roller coaster a a really crazy time still just trying to process everything and and get back to normal life you know and just going forward i i know my mom wouldn't want me to dwell on her passing she wouldn't want me to be sad i'm just gonna try and keep going forward and making her proud. But yes, again, thank you to everybody who reached out. I really appreciate it. I couldn't get back to everybody, but it really means a lot to me that that you guys are kind of looking out for me. So thank you so much. And then the next thing I kind of want to talk about really quick is the MC Chris interview that I put up last week. And that was just crazy. Basically, it kind of fell into my lap. I, I knew it might be coming up for a while, but it was so back and forth on if it would happen or not. And of course, I had the wedding coming up and everything, and then my mom's passing. I I was like, I can't focus on if this will happen or not. And eventually, it did end up happening. So that's why I kind of need to last minute prepare for it, because I didn't know if it would happen or not. It did. I think it went really well, and I'm really happy with it. And it's kind of a, a big moment for me, because as I've mentioned plenty of times, I was offered by Carrie Means's wife to have him on the show a long time ago, like almost a year ago. And I've just been so nervous because I've never really interviewed anybody before. And to have this MC Chris interview just fall into my lap and be a time sensitive thing that needed to happen on a certain day, it just, you know, broke that barrier. And now I'm really excited to go forward and just keep talking to more people involved with the show. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. And just thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who's ever supported this show, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have been given that opportunity. If, if I didn't have the listenership that we have currently, then I wouldn't have been given the time with Chris to do that. So just thank you all so much. I mean, I've said it so many times, and if it wasn't for all you guys supporting, either just listening or on the Patreon or whatever, I wouldn't still be doing this. I wouldn't have been in that position. And I just assume things are going to get crazier and crazier as we continue to have more people on the show involved with Aqua Teen. And before I forget, 
as of this recording, I have put up the interview with Chris on YouTube, so you can watch it if you want. I mean, not super exciting. It's Chris sitting in a hotel room, me sitting at my computer, but if you want to see it, it's there. Something I do want to mention is that the first answer he gives, I asked him that first question of basically, what would he say to somebody familiar with his music in Aqua Teen who's not familiar with his music outside of Aqua Teen? The, the answer he gave me was actually about three minutes long, and I really trimmed it down in the podcast episode because I didn't want to lead with this this very long but really interesting answer. I tried to keep it more concise so we could get to the Aqua Teen stuff. If you want to hear his full three-minute answer, go on over to the YouTube. You can hear it there. But otherwise, if you've heard the podcast episode, you're good as gold. Just wanted to mention it to you in case you wanted to, uh, I don't know, see what MC Chris's hotel room kind of looks like. I don't know. Up to you, but it's there if you want it. All right, and then before we move on with the Aqua Teen news, I do want to give you a peek behind the curtain and just kind of tell you how the sausage is made. I started this episode, this Broodwitch coverage, over a month ago as of this recording. So this part obviously is all new. The Aqua Teen news will be new, but after that, it'll mostly be stuff from a month ago. So like, there won't be any Patreon shoutouts that are relatively new, anything like that. Just want to get that out of the way in case you have signed up to the Patreon. I will get to that in the next episode. But all right, moving on to our Aqua Teen news. This week, I come at you with some news that I just saw today. This coming from Carrie Means' wife. And she says that the upcoming Aqua Teen film is going to be in theaters first for a bit because SAG requirements, probably, she says. So she does go on to say that it'll probably just be one theater. It, this won't be a, a widespread theater release or anything like that. But more info on this as it comes of course, nothing has been officially announced yet, but I find that very interesting that it, it'll probably come to at least one theater when the film does come out. So I'll let you know where that is. If you're in the area, I would show up if I were you. That's all I'm saying. So more info on that as it comes. Otherwise, our other bit of Aqua Teen news this week, you may have heard me talk about it on the beginning of the shaving episode if you were an early person to download it. I later went back and removed this bit because I was like, oh, we'll talk about it later, not knowing that I would soon be gone for over a month. But the news here is that, of course, the Aqua Teen Hunger Force Complete Collection Baffler Meal 20-disc uh, box set with all the episodes on it for the first time was delayed. I believe it was supposed to come out this month. The nice thing about talking about this later is that now we have a new release date on it, which is September 20th, 2022. Now, of course, we will see if they hold to that. Maybe that's just another temporary date that will get pushed back. I don't know. But we do have what seems to be, you know, a date now. Before, when I was first going to talk about this last month, there was no date. But something I want to note is on Target's website, it's not listed anymore, which stinks. Because I would prefer to buy it from Target because I work there. I get a discount. It's not on there anymore, which, which is a little bit concerning. But we'll see. Maybe it'll pop back up again. But yeah, if you had a pre-order for that, you probably know you either got an email or you noticed if you just checked your pre-order that there's a new date on it. We'll see what happens. Nothing has been announced as to why this happens at all. In fact, to my knowledge, it being delayed wasn't even announced. It's like we just saw it on Amazon, on Target. There was no actual announcement from any sort of production company or anything. So nobody knows why this was. I assume, you know, look, it's 2022. There's probably some sort of production issues or something like that. I've seen people saying, oh, maybe they're going to add the new movie to it. That is not true. I cannot imagine they would add the movie to it. So don't, you know, get any hopes up or anything like that. But yeah, just I assume production issues, nothing has been announced as to why it was delayed, but it was delayed, and we'll see if it really is released on September 20th, 2022. 
So, all right, that's it for Aqua Teen News. I am now going to drop you in to the pre-recorded stuff that I did over a month ago. Again, we'll get some outdated references. For example, I'll say like my wedding is coming up. I know there's a reference to my mom about her liking a joke and I wonder if she still likes it. Just stuff like that. I'm not going to go back and try and fix all these little things. Just enjoy, all right? Moving on here, Shinsuke with a laptop from the Discord has left us a message. Let's give it a listen. Hey guys, this is uh, Shinsuke with a laptop. You probably know me from the Discord, uh, if that name sounds familiar. If you don't, then I'm just a just a fan who's been a member of the, the Discord for a bit now. And uh, I just want to say that it's a really lovely community. It's really nice. It's kind of small, but uh, it's easy to manage in that way. Ronnie does an excellent job of like moderating the Discord and all the other lovely folks there are really cool to talk to. So um, if you're if you've never heard of a Discord or like you're just popping in then and you really like Aqua Teen or really just anything Adult Swim or really just anything in general, you want a nice little community to pop into, then uh, hop on in. It's a it's a nice place to be in. You know, you can you can chat about basically anything. Just the one thing that unites us is our love for this batshit show. But yeah, it's really cool. We have to talk about really interesting stuff. Uh, Ronnie streams every now and then. And that's really cool to see. Yeah, if you just want a lovely place to come down to, then come on in and join us. And this podcast is also amazing, and I love it, and it's the best thing ever. I'm so happy to have found this. And yeah, I'm, I'm just rambling now. Anyway, uh, I'm going to let Ronnie go on with his podcast. But uh, thank you for listening, and uh hope you enjoy listening to the podcast. And I have a friend here who has something to say. I hope you can see this because I'm doing it as hard as I can. Shinsuke, thank you so much for this kind message, but also for this advocacy for the Discord group, which I, I fail at talking about sometimes, although I probably do mention it a fair amount. But yeah, we have a Discord community. It is specifically for listeners of this podcast. I'm not just going to other Aqua Teen places and posting, hey, join my Discord server, because there are definitely Discord servers, you know, for that kind of thing. There are general Aqua Teen Discord servers, for example, the R Aqua Jail, that subreddit's Discord server. But in my experience, every Aqua Teen Discord I've seen, it's just quotes from the show and and memes really and it's like all right that's fine but that's not really what i'm going to discord for so if you'd like to meet other fans of the show and have just some fantastic conversations about aqua teen and uh, you know other adult swim adjacent stuff i suppose i mean if you're listening to this podcast then i have to imagine that's something that you're somewhat interested in so check the link to the show notes and I'm just really, really, really happy with how the Discord is evolving and moving along. And I know that Shinsuke is trying to do a watch party soon. And I plan to start doing regular watch parties after my wedding and everything. I feel like the Discord has grown to the size to where that would be a worthwhile endeavor. So check it out. But all right, again, thank you, Shinsuke, for that voice message. If you would like to send in your own voice message, either your Aqua Teen origin story, your favorite episode of the show... Anything Aqua Teen related or, or related to this podcast, send it on over at speakpipe.com slash dancing is forbidden. Link to that, of course, in the show notes. That's enough talk and that's enough jibber jabber about all this junk. Let's go over and see what the heck was going on the week that Broodwitch premiered. 
still spoofing and goofing its way to the top of the box office this week yet again. We have Scary Movie 3 bringing in over $20 million this week after topping the box office last week as well. And since last week's episode went up on The Shaving, Speed Beats over on the Discord let me know that that film still holds up in his eyes. And of course, everything hasn't aged wonderfully. That's to be expected. It's a 20-year-old uh, comedy movie, uh, I, I guess edgy comedy movie. But I totally take his word for it because like I said, this was one of my favorites growing up. And I think after I'm done working on the podcast today, I'm going to go watch it and maybe I'll update at some other point what I thought about Scary Movie 3 in 2022. But I reckon it's probably still pretty dang good. So that's our top film this week. And I really want to mention that on this night, the night that Rude Witch premieres, we have a television premiere for a show that I really love, Arrested Development. That premieres tonight on Fox. Arrested Development really having a rocky history because it was always on the verge of cancellation, basically. But now in the streaming era, it's really appreciated because you can binge it. And it was a show that needed to be watched in order. There's just so many running gags, so many running jokes that it really, really benefits it to be watched in order, not just out of order like you would normally see stuff on television unless you're watching as it premieres. And the interesting thing about Rest of Development is it went off the air in 2006, and then it was brought back in 2013, so 10 years after it premiered for a season, which that 2013 season wasn't that well received, but I liked it. They were doing something new there, something interesting, something different than what they did previously, which honestly, in my opinion, that's the way to go. If you bring something back, you got to try and do something different with it. Don't just try and replicate your old success. And that's what they did. Not many people liked it, but I did. Then they came back for a fifth season in 2018, but I watched a few episodes and then I just kind of dropped off with it. I was like, yeah, I don't really, you know, it, it, it's just objectively, I think that fifth season wasn't as good as even the fourth season, which was already kind of mixed. So, but anyways, back to this first episode that airs on November 2nd, 2003, a great episode. And those first three seasons are just really fun. And worth mentioning that David Cross is a main character in Arrested Development. And he, of course, plays Happy Time Harry on Aqua Teen. So, all right, that's it for our film and television this week. Moving on here, let's open up our ears and take a sweet listen to the number one album on the Billboard Top 200 charts. Let's hear what it is. Absolutely decimating the Billboard Top 200 charts this week. We have Clay Aiken with Measure of a Man selling over 613,000 copies this week. Absolute insanity here. That song I played was the first song off the album called Invisible. And actually something I think I recognize, and I hate to say it, but kind of catchy. I actually kind of like it. Interestingly enough, this was the highest selling debut for a solo artist since Snoop Dogg's Doggy Style in December of 1993. So dethroning Snoop Dogg's 10-year reign, or, or almost 10-year reign, I guess a month shy of it, we have Clay Aiken here, of course the runner-up of the second season of American Idol, the winner, Ruben Studdard, I don't think ever went on to do anything as big as Clay Aiken did. So, so even though Clay Aiken didn't win American Idol, he still went on to have a more successful career than Ruben Studdard, at least to my knowledge. Our top track on the Billboard charts this week, again, Baby Boy by Beyonce featuring Sean Paul. Sick of hearing about it, but our alternative track is something new. Stained has been dethroned. Let's give a listen to who pushed them so far away from the number one spot. Yes. 
That is a perfect circle with Weak and Powerless from their album 13th Step that came out a few months ago in our timeline, I think September of 2003. What a bass tone on that track, I gotta say. And A Perfect Circle, I think we've talked about them on the show before, but of course, the vocalist being Maynard James Keenan, the lead singer of the band Tool, but it's kind of a super group because we have all sorts of famous people in it. For example, a current member is James Iha, the guitarist from Smashing Pumpkins, who are my favorite band. And on this record in particular, we have Twiggy Ramirez, the bass player from Marilyn Manson on it. There's also Paz Lenchantin. I, I, again, I don't know how to say that. I've talked about her before on the show, but just all sorts of famous people in a perfect circle. Growing up around 2004, 2005, I had their album Emotive, which I really love. I'm excited to talk about that one when we get to it. But yeah, this is uh, their album, 13th Step, their song, Weak and Powerless, topping the alternative charts. And I think that I like A Perfect Circle more than I like Tool, but that's just me. Before we head out of our music section, I want to mention that on October 28th, 2003, so during this week of the Broodwitch premiere, we have The Strokes coming out with their second album, Room on Fire. This being their second album after their debut smash hit, Is This It? The Strokes, a band I'm not super huge into, but I like them well enough, and my understanding is this album, Room on Fire, received pretty well. But okay, moving on to our video games for the week. We have a packed week, let me tell you. First of all, on October 27th, 2003, we have skateboard man himself, Tony Hawk coming out with a new video game called Underground. That's right, Tony Hawk's Underground. I wanted to play you a commercial that aired on Adult Swim at this time for this video game, but the commercial has really no dialogue at all. It's all just music and then visuals, so it wouldn't really work in this format. But Tony Hawk's Underground, I think, received all right. It looks like it's kind of smack dab in the middle of, of a lot of rankings for all the Tony Hawk games. So not a classic, but not a bad game by any means either. But all right, moving on from that, we have somewhat of an underground classic that you might not have heard of before. I, I totally get it if you haven't. It's called, I believe, Call of Duty, something like that. A World War II shooter comes out on PC on October 29th, 2003. And that's right, we have Call of Duty premiering. And something I didn't know is this was a PC game when it started. This first game first came to PC and it didn't come to PlayStation and Xbox until many years later. And for me, Call of Duty was always something that was just synonymous with console gaming. So that was a surprising point for me. And now, of course, Call of Duty, I think in 2020, came out with Warzone, its Battle Royale game. And that just kind of reinvigorated life into it, kind of made it relevant again. Of course, Call of Duty never went away after this first game, but... I think for a lot of people, it's starting to get stale, but then Warzone came out and reignited a lot of interest, and I think Warzone 2 really made Call of Duty interesting to PC gamers again, because again, I, to me, it was always just a console thing mainly, and this very first game that comes out this week, the week that Brood Witch premieres, was PC only, which was very surprising to me, and just a, a shocker to see that this is the week where it all starts. Otherwise... On the 31st, SpongeBob SquarePants Battle for Bikini Bottom comes to all sorts of platforms and love me some SpongeBob. And they were actually playing commercials for this on Adult Swim at the time. And I remember as a kid, it was always almost shocking. It was almost scandalous 
to see a commercial for a Nickelodeon product on Cartoon Network. It, was, it just blew my little mind, and I'm sure that this commercial did just that. Let's give it a listen. The battle for Bikini Bottom in 15 seconds. Bikini Bottom was a lovely place, but now it isn't. The evil plankton is taking it over. SpongeBob has to save it. That's him tongue boarding. Why is he doing that? Can't get into that now. It's the new SpongeBob video game, and it's on a bunch of different game systems, and it's rated everyone. But all right, it is the night of November 2nd, 2003. You caught this new show on Fox called Arrested Development. It seemed pretty good, pretty smart writing, and David Cross is in it. You're an Aqua Teen fan, so hey, it's happy time, Harry. Surely this show will never be faced with cancellation. It'll go on forever. You picked up the new Call of Duty game. You're blasting down Nazis on your PC, and you're also playing that new Strokes record, Room on Fire. It's pretty dang good. It's no is this it, but you're liking it. Well, I got bad news for you. Your mom, she needs to make a phone call because she is fucking going crazy over this new Clay Aiken record. She has to call all her girlfriends and tell them about it. So you got to get off the dial-up connection. You can't play multiplayer anymore. Your mom's got to make a phone call. It's all right, though. Adult Swim is about to come on. You were going to get off anyways, so jokes on her. What's coming on Adult Swim tonight? First up at 11 p.m., we have the Big O with the show must go on. Finally, they are playing the episode, the series finale of this entire show that was supposed to be played last week, but of course they messed up. Family Guy was supposed to be playing this week, but it's not. We have the Big O, the show must go on, putting this series to bed. At 11.30, we get the Brack Show with Enter the Hump, a new episode, another new episode, of course. And in this episode... After being bitten by a radioactive camel, Dad is given superpowers. Haven't seen that one, but it sounds like a good time. 11.45 p.m., we get Aqua Teen Hunger Force with Brood Witch. No surprise there. Midnight, we have Steelab 2021 with Legend of Baggy Pants. Of course, we did a deep dive on that episode over on the Patreon feed. At 12.15 a.m., Space Goes Coast to Coast with the episode Toast. 12.30, we get Mission Hill with the pilot or... The douchebag aspect. Remember, Mission Hill has like two titles. At 1 a.m., we get Trigun with And Between the Wasteland and Sky. And then at 1.30, instead of Cowboy Bebop, we get Android Kikator. I'm not entirely sure how to say that. I'm not familiar with this, but the episode is called Frozen Bonds. And I don't think we're really going to see this show pop up a ton. Seems like it mostly plays on weeknights instead of weekends. So not really sure why they kicked Cowboy Bebop off. But our whole schedule will be changing very soon. I looked into this Android Kikater, uh, Kikater, I don't know, show, and it looks like, you know, a pretty cool superhero anime kind of thing. I'm sure it's a good time. But all right, that is our lineup this week, and say goodbye to it, because things will be changing up the next time we dive in. I should mention in our timeline here that the next week when, when You Wish Upon a Weinstein, that exclusive Family Guy episode airs, Aqua Teen actually doesn't air that week. They take a week off and then they get back into it on the 16th of November with Kidney Cars. So kind of interesting. Not sure why they skipped out on an Aqua Teen here, especially because on New Year's Eve, they played two Aqua Teen episodes. So they could have played one every week, but maybe they decided, hey, the Family Guy premiere is big enough. We don't need to play any Aqua Teen. They don't even play a rerun from the looks of it. They just put some Family Guy, Brack Show, Space Ghost, Oblongs. Family Guy again, and then FLCL, and then Blue Gender. So that, that would be the next week that we are not covering. But all right, I think we're all set up. We're all locked and loaded knowing what's going on this week in our airing history. Let's jump in and check out 
Brood Witch. Check it out. Check it out, y'all. Check it out. Check it out. This episode of Dancing is Forbidden is brought to you by Vogue Magazine, bringing you all the urgent information in fashion, beauty, culture, living, runway, and demonic sandwiches for the past 129 years. You'd be going rogue if you don't go with Vogue. Sign up for a monthly or yearly subscription today with promo code Dancing is Forbidden to receive the June Dua Lipa edition with Meatwad's face superimposed over her body. Vogue, it comes to the house when you order it, you big fat lady. This episode of Dancing is Forbidden is also, as always, brought to you by the wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash dancingisforbidden who are signed up to a subscription over there, but instead of getting Vogue, they are getting a monthly deep dive into the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. And they are also getting the eternal good feelings of supporting the show that I assume that they like. I, I, I would imagine that they do. If you are living a subscriptionless life though, and you don't want to support the show financially, then just sharing the show, telling somebody about the show, it makes a big difference. Here's an idea for you. Write down my website on a piece of paper, and then when you go to the dentist and you see, I don't know, a Vogue magazine there, stick my website link in the magazine. I'm sure that will be a one-to-one ratio of new listeners to the podcast. Otherwise, thanks everyone who's been tweeting at me, you know, doing stuff at me on Instagram, whatever you do at somebody over there. I've been getting some tweets from JD Helen, who is at JD Helen writes. She sent me this really cool, what looks like a screenshot or something of a bump that says, if you ask what Aqua Teen Hunger Force is about, it may not be the show for you. They're not teens. There's very little water involved. Hunger Force? We have no idea what that means. Mostly it's about Frylock, Master Shake, and Meatwad, you know, hanging out. Thank you, JD, for sending that my way and for the other nice tweets that you've been sending me. And thank you, everyone else who's been doing the same. Coming up next, Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Broodwitch premiering November 2nd, 2003 with a TV PGDL rating for suggestive dialogue and infrequent course language. And yeah, a PG rating on this one, but despite that, we'll get into it. But in my opinion, this is kind of like the darkest episode of the show so far and probably just in general. There's a real, for lack of a better term, evil undertone to this one, and it's really quite unsettling. So the fact that they could pull that off with a PG rating without showing anything too crazy is really commendable. In this episode, we actually have three voice actors, so pretty stacked compared to usual. We have H. John Benjamin returning here. Of course, he played Moth Monster Man in the third episode of the first season. And then we have John Glazer also returning after playing Oog earlier in the season in episode four, Supercomputer. Both of those guys will appear as the stick figures uh, towards the end of the episode. They're, they're just having a long conversation that's very funny. I'm excited to get to that. And making his first appearance on the show, we have Isaac Hayes III, and while this is his first time officially appearing on Aqua Teen, this is our third time discussing him because we talked about him over on the Patreon feed because he is in the 2007 Aqua Teen film. And then this year in 2022, he reappears in the Brood Rap episode. So we've talked about him in two episodes, but in this one, I'm going to give a little bit more information on him that I've been holding back until now since it's his first official appearance. 
Before I forget, there are two YouTube videos that I would like to shout out really quickly. First of all, there is a Broodwitch reanimated video that has all sorts of animators coming together and just taking their hand at recreating scenes from this episode, and then they were all compiled together, and you can watch them online. So link to that in the show notes. Otherwise, if you just look up Broodwitch Reanimated, you'll find it for sure. But really cool there to see everyone's different takes on the episode and all different animation styles coming together. And of course, this concept is currently being done for the episode Rabots that Zeus is putting together. So before you know it, we'll have two reanimated videos for Aqua Teen Hunger Force. The next video I want to mention is a video called Binging with Babish, the Broodwitch from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. This chef recreates the Broodwitch to the best of his abilities. It looks great, really fun to watch. So link to that in the show notes as well. I love it when people see stuff in an animated show or even I guess a real show and they try and recreate it, this fictional food item. And that's exactly what Babish Culinary Universe does over on YouTube. So check it out, 5.8 million views on that bad boy. So it's a force to be reckoned with, just like the real Broodwitch. So moving on here, I guess this kind of encompasses the Dr. Weird skit that we will get into, but the production code on this one, if all the websites I'm seeing this code listed on are to be believed, this one was actually produced a little while ago and not aired until now. The production code on this one being 210, so that indicates this is the 10th episode produced for the season. However, for context here, The Shaving, the episode that aired previous to this one, is production code 217. So this one seemingly produced seven episodes before The Shaving. My guess is here that they just held on to it to air it around Halloween time, which would make sense. So this is kind of like our second Halloween episode because it airs a couple days after Halloween. So with that in mind, let's move on to our Dr. Weird skit. And this is one that I've been looking forward to talking about because of this production air order situation. And in this skit, we have Dr. Weird. He's, he's standing there and we see he has tubes in him and there looks to be some sort of red liquid inside. It's not blood. It appears to be barbecue sauce because we see a tank next to him that says BBQ on it. And there is a, uh, a pig in a chef's outfit on the bottom there. It's an old decrepit looking tank. And there seems to be some barbecue sauce kind of like flowing out of the seams of the tank too. It's not very well built, it appears. But yeah, Dr. Weird is hooked up to this. There is a tube in each of his pectoral muscles and then one just smack dab like in his stomach. But it's funny because he's still wearing his outfit. So you, you think that he would have lifted that up or something, but the tube is just right into his shirt. Very funny looking. And his weight is just fluctuating. He, he's going from skinny to huge and it's just like pulsing his whole body. And I'd have to imagine this animation was probably somewhat costly to do and kind of above and beyond what we really see in the show in terms of effects. So I'm surprised that they, you know, took this joke this far to have this kind of drawing made for it because we're not used to seeing this kind of animation in the show. But the gist of it is he, he's pulsating and then at the end of the clip he explodes. He, he pumps himself full of too much barbecue sauce. And if you will remember back in Revenge of the Trees, which was season two, episode 13, Steve is mocking Dr. Weird during all of this. And he's like, gentlemen, fill me with barbecue sauce because I'm dumb as hell. And then the Dr. Weird head kind of appears behind him and bites Steve's head off. But again, back to the production order thing, because I did mention this in that episode as well. Revenge of the Trees is production code 214. Broodwitch is 210. So I would imagine this Broodwitch 
opening, this Dr. Weird skit was written before the one for Revenge of the Trees. So instead of Steve mocking Dr. Weird with some random thing, then Dr. Weird does it. It seems like in the production order that Dr. Weird did it first and then Steve later mocked him for it. So this, again, suggests that if the show was aired in its production order, that this one would have came first. So with all that out of the way, let's give this clip a listen. Gentlemen, there's a chance this will work. Uh, actually, <laughs> you said there's no chance this will work. Fool! That will never work! <laughs> so you, you hear a, kind of a quiet explosion sound. So that's it. That's the whole thing. Gotta wonder what Dr. Weird is trying to accomplish here. But whatever it is, he, he realizes it will never work and he dies. Somebody actually asked over on Reddit on the Explain Like I'm 5 subreddit eight years ago as of this recording, they asked, what would happen if you injected barbecue sauce into your arm? Somebody actually came in and answered this. I don't know if they're a doctor or not. Doctor is in their Reddit name, but I, I doubt they really are. But everything they're saying makes sense. They actually gave quite a long response. I'm not going to read all of it, but they do detail what would happen if you injected into an artery, into a vein, and into just the muscle. It looks like Dr. Weird is injecting it just into his muscle here. And basically, it would cause massive inflammation. And if it was into your arm, you'd probably have to get your arm amputated. Not sure what would happen if you inject it into your pectoral muscles and into your stomach region. But, I mean, obviously, if you inject too much, then you'll clearly explode. A little disappointed in this Reddit thread to see that nobody brought up Aqua Teen Hunger Force. But since this person is asking about just injecting it into your arm, maybe they had the idea independently. Link to this thread in the show notes. So, all right, opening the episode proper, we have Master Shake and Meatwad in the hallway. We get this long pan from right to left, so I have to assume they're by Frylock's bedroom. And they are having an argument because Master Shake, he has amassed this huge collection of these collectible drink cups, I assume, from some sort of fast food restaurant. And Shake refuses to clean them up. Meatwad's grilling into him about it, which is great. I love Meatwad being the responsible one here. And before we get into this further, I want to mention here that this is a really interesting shot because normally when we see the characters, it's just straight on. But there appears to be some sort of angle to the camera here because if you look behind them, there is an angle to the room that they are in. It's like slanted. So I don't know why they decided to go with this shot. I don't know why it's slanted. Maybe it's to make it appear like there's more depth to the room, which in turn is supposed to really exaggerate how many cups are lying around here, how much of a fucking mess is made. But just interesting, I don't think I've seen this shot yet. There's definitely an angle to this. Not sure why. But again, we have these cups everywhere. In terms of what is on them, we can't really make out much detail. They look to have some sort of purple graphic on them. But besides that, I can't explain much more. But what I can explain is how disgusting these cups are. Clearly, you know, if you get like a nice cup from a restaurant or something, you'll wash it off and keep it nice. Master Shake has not done this whatsoever. There are stains all over these cups. A lot of them still have liquid in them. They are tipped over and there are stains on the carpet from whatever liquid was in the cups. I assume some sort of soda pop. And it's just a mess and Meatwad is grilling into him about it. It doesn't matter because I'm not cleaning up this hallway. Well, it's all your bullcrap here. All them Battlestar Earth blasted drink cups. Don't you touch those! <laughs> they're in mint condition and they're gonna stay that way. I touch them all the way to the trash cans. You I touch know. those and your G.I. Joes are gonna be M.I.A., my friend. And then who's gonna call? Little Mama Joe. <laughs> and tell her that her boy ain't coming home. Because somebody was asleep on guard duty. First of all, it's fun to see Shake have some sort of collection here. Apparently he's a collector. And you know, 
I took this scene, I superimposed all the shots we get of this hallway, and I counted out all these cups, and to the best of my knowledge, there are 653 cups here that Shake has amassed. Surprised how he got that many, you know, I wonder if he's kind of just fishing these things out of the garbage at the restaurant or something. I can't imagine he'd be able to afford to buy all these drinks. But yes, counting this took way too much time, of course, superimposing the images so I can get a nice clear shot without any characters there. And then going through and counting, and you know, there were some issues with some cups were behind other cup stacks. So I had to go in and say, okay, which asset is this? Oh, I see this one over here, and there are four stacks in this group. So I could assume, oh, there's four, you know, hidden behind this other stack. Very exciting, I know, very fun. But yeah, 653 cups, including the two that Meatwad knocks away at the beginning of the scene there. Very funny, too, that Shake is a giant cup, and he is collecting little cups. I wonder if there's a reasoning for that, if maybe he, he feels more of an attraction to these little cups, because he's like, hey, I'm a big cup. These are cute little cups. I like them. Shake, of course, saying they are in mint condition. Again, absolutely untrue. And Meatwad's just laying down the law. He's threatening to throw these away because they're just trash. And then Shake says that Meatwad's G.I. Joes will be going M.I.A., and I remember as a kid when I'd have this episode on, my mom would laugh at that joke. I wonder if she's still laughing at it now. But I love how Shake is implying here that Meatwad even has G.I. Joe dolls, which almost certainly he does not. I mean, all the toys we see of Meatwads are basically either homemade or just crappy little baby toys. I really doubt he has actual G.I. Joes. In case you don't know, G.I. Joe is a, a media franchise that it was really popular in the 80s, I think. They were these military action figures. They had army versions, navy versions, air force versions, and marine versions of them. And later on, the action nurse, which is quite exciting there. But yeah, they were just these kind of generic military action guys that you could play with. And Shake saying that they will go MIA, that stands for missing in action, which was the term that would be used if they couldn't account for a soldier's body if they didn't make it back alive. So either they died or maybe they ran away. They're like, hey, fuck this, I'm getting out of here. Who knows? But yeah, Shake is essentially just saying, I'll break your toys, throw your toys away if you throw away my collectibles. On to what these collectibles are actually supposed to be, though. Growing up, I assumed this was just some made-up film. And, and you're kind of led to believe that, like they're just riffing on multiple science fiction films. Because Meatwad says Battlestar Earth, and then I, I don't know if he says Battlestar Earth Blaster Cups or Battlestar Earth Blasted Cups. Oh, them Battlestar Earth Blasted Drink Cups. Don't Sorry, I guess it's Drink Cups. But yeah, I'm like, maybe Meatwad's messing up the title, but you can see Star on some of the cups, so it does say that. However, there is a line coming up that I'll just say now that kind of clarifies what the film is supposed to be, and that is Shake saying, especially Turl. Turl is a character, the main character, in the film Battlefield Earth that came out in 2000. So it seems like they're actually wanting to reference Battlefield Earth, but they chose not to. I'm not sure why, because they do reference many other films on the show. But here they kind of uh, mashed up the name with, with Battlestar Galactica. But again, they do reference in a little bit here the, the specific character Turl. And let me discuss this film for a minute because this film has horrible ratings. It's considered just an awful film. It stars John Travolta as Turl, the main character, Forrest Whitaker, and Barry Pepper. And it's based on a novel by L. Ron Hubbard. That's right, the Scientology founder, L. Ron Hubbard. And this film has a 2.5 out of 10 on IMDb. 
and it's just kind of a cult classic as being a bad film. Now, I've seen people say, this film is so bad, it's not even good. It's not like The Room or Troll 2. It's just bad. I, I really want to see it, and I'm actually thinking of hosting a watch party now over on the Discord, so I'll, I'll hit you with more information when I can get around to that, obviously, after my wedding at some point, but I really want to watch this movie now. I watched the trailer, and it told me absolutely nothing. The trailer was dog shit, exactly what I would expect for this film. So it seems like this is Matt and Dave kind of making fun of Battlefield Earth and how absolutely lame of a collectible this cup would be because the film essentially flopped. Who's going to want these collectible cups, especially years later when they're supposed to go up in value? And I, I could assure you that they wouldn't have. Let me read you the synopsis of this real quick. It's the year 3000 AD and the Earth is lost to the alien race of Cyclos. Humanity is enslaved by these gold-thirsty tyrants who are unaware that their man-animals are about to ignite the rebellion of a lifetime. And I want to mention here that I tried to look up and see, like, were there any actual fast food restaurant collabs with this film? Was there branded merchandise? But nothing that I could find. So I assume that they just, you know, made this up for this shitty movie. Reading the trivia section for Battlefield Earth on IMDb is a wild ride. First of all, Forrest Whitaker, one of the leads in the film, expressed his regret for participating in this film. The film cinematographer has gone on record as saying that this was the smallest lighting budget he has ever had to work with. One of my favorites here is John Travolta referred to the film as like Star Wars, but better, and the Schindler's List of science fiction films during publicity. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And last but not least here, Barry Pepper blamed the film's failure on a weak script and poor production values. He claimed that John Travolta's paycheck took most of the budget. <laughs> so yeah, very excited to see this film. Stay tuned for when we're going to watch it. Moving on with our scene, Frylock is going to enter the picture claiming to have found a treasure map. Shake is going to rip it out of his hands, and we see an up-close of the map, and it's clearly a layout of their yard, and there are X's, and that's all done in pencil. But then over the top, in, in a blue marker, we see more in line of what you would expect from a treasure map. So we see a chest with gold doubloons in it, a pirate ship, uh, it says treasure map on the bottom, and there's a little drawing of a pirate, and then there are the dashes leading to an X of where the treasure is supposed to be. It's going to be revealed in the clip that, oh, wow, this is where you wanted us to plant those azalea bushes. So clearly, Frylock, at one point, I assume, had handed them this sheet saying, hey, I need you to dig where these X's are. They didn't do it, so now he's rebranding it as a treasure map to try and get them to dig holes so that he can plant these azalea bushes. And yeah, it's really fun to inspect the pencil work underneath all the actual treasure map pirate kind of stuff. And you just see measurements around their house and stuff. Nothing super interesting, but it, it's, it's cool to see that. And also, there is a, a, some sort of ring stain on the paper, like somebody had put a cup down on it and it got some condensation on the paper or something. So a really nice touch here. I really like this asset that they have. And the last visual thing in this scene is that Frylock is going to just pull out a shovel and hand it, and they're going to kind of fight over who can have the shovel, because obviously this is going to get Shake all riled up. He's going to rip this paper right out of Frylock's hands. Well, what's this? A treasure map. Treasure? Can I hold it, please? <laughs> wow. There's treasure under all these X's? Yeah, obviously. Amazing. These are the same exact spots where you wanted me to plant those disgusting azalea bushes. <laughs> wow, you serious? Well, I guess you better go. Hey, little phone my calls, man. I'm gonna be outside 
with the shovel. No, 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 no. That bullion's mine. Look, don't dig any further than 12 to 14 inches. Shut up, you don't know. You just stay here and guard my battlefield earth cups. Especially turtle. So, a bit of a discrepancy here because now Shake says Battlefield Earth, which is the name of the actual film we were talking about. That is the correct name. Remember, earlier, Meatwad said Battlestar Earth, and I saw the word star on the cups. But then Shake says Battlefield Earth here, and then he says especially Turl, who is the main character. Now, growing up as a kid, I always thought he was saying Turtle, but it appears to be Turl because Battlefield Earth, the main character, is Turl, played again by John Travolta, sucking up most of the film's budget. Of course, this makes me wonder if this was in the script, if, you know, there was supposed to be this discrepancy with Meatwad seeming to be right when he says Battlestar Earth or whatever he says, because that's on the cups. Shake says Battlefield Earth, which is the name of the actual film that he is referencing with Turl. So like when I've asked Dana Steiner before, when there was some weird discrepancy in the script, he said last time regarding what, what I thought might be a mispronunciation, he said, no, it, it would have been in the script. If, if I messed up, they would have made me do it again. So I assume that has to be the case here, Matt and Dave, just maybe playing around. But again, like I said before, I don't know why they wouldn't just say the movie. They've said plenty of other films in, in, the, in the show, but maybe because this one, they had some merchandise that they couldn't quite do it. I don't know. The merchandise, of course, being these cups. Maybe they couldn't actually write the film name or anything like that. No idea. While Shake is going outside, we see five azalea bushes inside the house by the door. It's possible there are more that we don't see. On the treasure map, we saw seven X's, so I suppose there might be two out of frame, although we'll get back to these azalea bushes in a minute. We see all those bushes there. Shake closes the door, and then we cut. Seemingly, there's a time lapse because the azalea bushes are no longer inside because Meatwad is up on the cable spool that they use as a table by the window. Meatwad's up on there and the azalea bushes are gone because before some were on there and now they're not. And we see azalea bushes outside and Shake is outside digging while Frylock and Meatwad have this conversation about him. You okay? He's dumb as hell. He sure is. I dumb too. That means new news out there, yeah? Because I did send out a press release. <laughs> I ate a bunch of them. <laughs> I'm dumb. Meatwad just going on about how dumb he is. This is just one of those classic season two Meatwad trailing on to Frylock about some shit that Frylock, if you look at him, he doesn't really care about any of this. But Shake is outside digging the entire time. And now we get kind of another time cut because we're going to be outside and we will see that Shake has dug just this giant hole. He's torn up the whole yard looking for this treasure, and he has dug so deep that he busted through the water line and the gas line because on his left, there is water spraying everywhere, and on his right, there is a huge flame going. Frylock is going to come out and start yelling at Shake about this, Shake in this giant crater that he has dug, and at the very end of the clip, he is going to fall through the earth and go even deeper. <gasps> yeah. No, yeah. no, no, Shake! I know! The stupid pirates must have buried the gas line down there. I told you, 14 inches! You tell me a lot of things, but that doesn't mean I have to list more! Notable here is that the flame shooting out is not our classic Aqua Teen flame, although that will come into the episode soon enough. Really impressed here that Shake had the stamina to do all this. I mean, I've, I've dug a deep hole before when... I was walking home from school one day, and I found a dead cat on the side of the road. It wasn't gory or, or bloody or anything like that, but it had died somehow, and I w went back with a bag, got it, and then buried it in the yard, and I dug a hole probably up to my waist, and that took a lot out of me, so surprised that Shake could dig up his entire yard here, 
And not only that, but break through sidewalk, break through their driveway. He broke through all that cement and everything. It's just very impressive since in other scenes with Shake and other episodes and in the Aqua Teen film, he's not that strong. It's demonstrated a lot how weak he is. So really impressive here. Shake really dumb, though, thinking that this is a treasure map. He's actually looking for treasure here. And yeah, obviously took things a little too far. Frylock wanted seven nice, neat little holes in the front yard. Instead, they have a huge crater now. And then Shake seems to have hit some sort of sinkhole because he fell through it. Let's hear Frylock and Shake react to Shake falling into the sinkhole. Shake, Shake, are you all right down there? Get me out of here right now! I'm gonna die! This monster's grabbing my leg! It's a zombie! Look, Shake, there's no monsters down there, okay? You just hit a sinkhole or something. Okay. <laughs> Shake being such a baby here. Okay. He's saying that there's monsters down there, that Dracula's grabbing him. Uh, a nice Dracula reference from Shake. You know, he's chock full of them. Dracula seems to be living in his head rent free. But all we see down there really is just Shake's kind of silhouette and we just see it's just like a tunnel that he fell into. The only other notable details I really like, there's a, a ray of light coming down from the hole that Shake fell through. So we have some nice play with light there, kind of like we had in the shaving. Although, of course, as far as production numbers go, this one came earlier. But it's cool to see them thinking about light and stuff like that. Something that we didn't really get in season one of the show. When Frylock is talking, we actually get this interesting shot. It's directly up in the air because we're looking up through the sinkhole. And we just see Frylock looking straight down in the clouds above his head. So kind of an interesting shot for the show. One that I really don't think that we've gotten up until this point. Anyways, Frylock is going to tell Shake to stay right there. He's going to go get a flashlight, presumably so he could fly down and kind of help him. You would think, I mean, it's been demonstrated that Frylock is like freakishly strong. He could just fly down there, grab Shake and fly back up. But obviously that would ruin the episode. So they can't do that quite yet. Although he will fly down soon enough. Anyways, yeah, Frylock tells Shake, just hold tight, I'm gonna go get a flashlight. And Shake's just like, nah, I got it. And then he uses the shovel, because it makes sense the shovel would have fallen down with him. Although we didn't see Shake with the shovel earlier. But now he has it. He's gonna hit a pipe, which will ignite a flame, which is just like crazy cartoon logic here. It doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't even know how he would have seen that to begin with. But yeah, somehow it makes a flame and it illuminates the entire cavern now. And we see there's actually skulls everywhere. Now you could make these skulls out if you really, really looked at that first shot. But obviously... Who's pausing this the first time they see it to investigate things like that? Doesn't make sense. But you kind of could make out some skulls earlier, but now you you really do see them and you, and you see that there's just a, a mountain of skulls down here and Shay freaks out. This time he's warranted to freak out because that would be really scary. And then before he can really react beyond that, he starts to hear a strange voice. You stay right there. I'll go get a flashlight. I got it. Holy crap and a Peter! <laughs> <laughs> Huh? Who said that? You're all dead. You can, nobody can talk if they're dead. Come to me and taste the future. Taste what? So that voice being Isaac Hayes the third, which happy spirit journey formation anniversary to him because as of this recording, it is his birthday, June 10th. And Isaac Lee Hayes the third, he's a musician a singer, but he does a lot of production work under the name Ike Dirty. I suppose maybe not trying to ride on his father's coattails. You might know Isaac Hayes II, his father, as the voice of Chef from South Park. But of course, Isaac Hayes II, just a, a super famous musician in his own right. But back to Isaac Hayes III, he's done some voice work for McDonald's, Publix, American Airlines, 
And beyond that, he is an entrepreneur. It looks like right now he's starting up something called Fanbase, which is a social media platform geared towards content creators. And essentially, there's a lot more monetization on the platform where fans can can give you these micro donations and stuff. So if there's an artist you like, if you like their post, you give them like a dollar or something like that, which I think is a cool idea. He, he kind of says how, you know, there, there's millions and millions being made on social media by these platforms, but not a cent is going to the actual content creators on the social media platform. So this is trying to remedy that and rectify that in a way. So I'll have to check this out. It sounds interesting. Of course, he does come back 20 years or almost 20 years after this episode, reprising his role in a way. Now, of course, if you've heard the Brood Rap episode that I did on that Aquadunk side piece, I go into this whole spiel about how in this episode here, the Brood Witch, he's just a voice. It's not the voice of the sandwich. It's just a voice. And the sandwich is just a sandwich that looks like, you know, a little devil thing. But in the Brood Rap, he is the Brood Rap and the Brood Rap it moves around and stuff. It's sentient. So a little confusing there. So it's hard for me to be like, yeah, he came back because he kind of comes back in a different role. Although, you know, that episode is supposed to be the follow-up to this one. It's supposed to be the same thing. Although if you really look at it, it's not. I'll try not to be too annoying about this because I find it really fascinating, the discrepancy here, but definitely pay attention to this episode, how the voice refers to the sandwich and stuff. It's clearly not the sandwich. Really wondering why they made that decision. I would love to talk to Matt or Dave about it. Anyways, one last bit about Isaac Hayes III. He is an Atlanta, Georgia native, which of course is where Aqua Teen is made. So it makes sense that he would link up with these guys and be on the show. Back to our scene though, Shake is hearing this creepy disembodied voice telling him to taste. He doesn't know what that means. I want to mention visually, there's a little flame now coming out of the pipe that Shake hit with the shovel. And that's how, you know, you can kind of see in the area. It's a, it's a really cool effect. This kind of flickering light that we have. Again, I just want to shout out the, the effects leap in this season compared to season one. So the disembodied voice is saying, taste the future. And now Shake is going to look down and he's going to see a sandwich there on the ground. And this sandwich, it looks like a normal sandwich, chock full of meat and, and, and some cheese and stuff. And then the bread is red on it. And it also has little devil horns and a devil tail. So really funny, this like menacing sandwich. Otherwise, that looks like a completely normal sandwich. Let's jump back in and hear Shake's reaction to seeing this thing. Hey, free sandwich! But beware. <laughs> but you just told me... Look, I'm a thousand <laughs> years old. I know what I said. Beware. Yeah, you'll beware. I'm eating this. Shake now eating the sandwich, and then his body is consumed by this fiery, smoky effect. It's like a red smoke. It, it consumes him. He disappears from the real world, or at least our world, our dimension, and he appears in a completely new dimension. So this episode, very high concept. In this dimension, all we see of the ground, it almost looks like a desert, but the ground is purple with waves of, of a darker purple. And then the sky is very cloudy, but purple as well. So it's, it's a very simplistic background, but really cool looking. And then Shake and the Brood Witch are in a completely different animation style. It's very minimalistic. Shake's straw, for example, just being a little black line. He has little black fingers and he's holding the sandwich, which is now in a more cartoony style than, than the realistic kind of render from the episode. And Shake himself, he's just a very basic kind of rectangular shape with big eyes and his mouth. So really, really simplified here. And this is an homage to Don Hertzfeld, who is an animator. And I saw this on the Aqua Teen Hunger Force fandom wiki and I was like, all right, is this just somebody guessing that? 
So I looked up Don Hertzfeld and Dave Willis and Matt Malero, and they both mentioned him a lot in interviews. So clearly they were influenced by this animator and his art style. So they wanted to do something in his style. And just a reminder here that neither Dave Willis nor Matt Malero are really animators. So it's not like they were doing this, but they just like that style and probably said, hey, you know, we want to bring Shake to this dimension in that style too and kind of pass that information along to the Aqua Teen animators. But at this point, Don Hertzfeld's big thing that he had out was was a animated film called Rejected, which won a lot of awards. And before that, he had a bunch of student films that I would imagine that Matt and Dave had seen. For example, Billy's Balloon is one that I've seen. But yeah, a, a lot of Don Hertzfeld's work is very iconic. If you've been online in any capacity, you've probably seen something from him without knowing it. Bummer that Don never went on to work with the Aqua Teen guys. It looks like he did some stuff for the Simpsons in the 2014 episode Clown in the Dumps. He did a couch gag for that. Would have been cool to actually get him on Aqua Teen. But yeah, this very inspired by Don Hertzfeld. And I'll have to reacquaint myself with his work because Matt and Dave, they're big fans. So let's give a listen to Shake eating the sandwich, which transports him to this alternate universe. And there's also going to be a cool effect on his voice. So enjoy that while you can hear it. Hey, whoa, where the hell is this? You'll know in time. <laughs> the question is, will I care? Probably not. So that's it. Just a little bit of dialogue about being there. But we will be going back to that universe multiple times throughout the episode. It's very, very fun. We're going to head back to the real world now where Meatwad and Frylock are outside the hole. They're still, you know, on the ground level. And then Frylock is going to go down into the sinkhole looking for Shake, which, you know, it's like, well, why didn't he just do that sooner? But again, that would have ruined the episode. Shake. Shake. Just leave him. He's Wait a minute. I smell Mr. Money Bay time. <laughs> <gasps> oh, my God. Shake. I like me while you just leave him. But then, uh, you know, his, his nose, he has like a dog's nose, I guess. He can identify the honey-baked ham. Which, before you get any sort of cannibalistic thoughts, Meatwad, he's made of beef. He's not made of uh, pork. So, it's all right. Moving on, though, since that was just a short clip. Like I said, Frylock is now down in the sinkhole. And Shake is going to reappear from the uh, smoke flame that he went up in before. And Shake will have the sandwich in his hand still, but some of it has been eaten at this point. That's why it teleported him. Why he was able to come back, I'm not entirely sure how that mechanic works. Like when he starts to eat it, he teleports to that universe, but then he, he can just randomly come back. Not really sure what triggers that. But anyways, he comes back and, and Frylock is obviously disgruntled about this. He's surprised and shocked by this. Shake kind of plays it off, which is a funny juxtaposition to earlier when he was crying up a storm before he even saw the skulls. But Shake's going to act all cool. Frylock's going to tell him that's not just a sandwich. That is the brood witch. We'll get some dramatic music. And then we get this silly Aqua Teen joke that they'll do sometimes where Meatwad, he is still up on ground level because he can't fly down there. And Meatwad, he, he can't really hear them. So he's like, oh, the blue witch. And then him and Frylock go back and forth on this. Similar to me to the first episode of the series, Rabot, where the garage door just keeps going up and down, that kind of joke. And, and we've gotten to it a couple other times since then. So here's one of those rare instances where they do this kind of who's on first humor. So to reiterate on what's going on in the scene, Shake just reappeared with the Brood Witch in hand. Frylock is down there in the sinkhole now. They're going to talk about it. Oh my God, Frylock, what? Why is everything got to be a federal case with you? <laughs> yeah, you heard what I said. <laughs> I said it. Where'd all these skulls come from? They're guarding this sandwich. Now let's go. Oh my God. <laughs> 
That is no ordinary sandwich shake. Oh my god, Albert, do you ever have anything good to say? <laughs> it's a free sandwich. It's not a sandwich at all, Shake. It's the Brood Witch. The Blue Witch? No, the Brood Witch, Meatwad. Brood Witch. Wait. <laughs> Wait, say what? Brood Witch! <laughs> the Blair Witch is here! No, Meatwad, the Brood Witch! I'll tell you what it is, friends! It's shut up and let me eat it! A visual error that I love here is off of the Brood Witch, there is clearly some sort of line of pixels that they forgot to erase while making it transparent or, or, or the background for it transparent. So as Shake is moving it around in his hand, you see this line of, of white that's just floating next to it. Very funny and very endearing. But yes, in that clip, Frylock identifies the sandwich as the brood witch, which we can tell is, is some sort of important thing. We then get the joke with Meatwad, you know, Blair Witch. But Shake doesn't really seem to take this seriously. And in this next clip now, Frylock is going to explain how he found out about this legendary sandwich. I read a very disturbing article about this sandwich in the Bible. No, you probably <laughs> saw a piece in Vogue. I doubt it. I don't, I don't read that. <laughs> Heidi Klum was on the cover. You know, the brood witch issue. Okay, yes, it was Vogue. You read all this in Vogue? Our PR department is awesome. It's a girl <laughs> magazine. I hope you were at the dentist, Frylock. It just comes to the house. I of course it comes when you order it, you big fat lady. Someone <laughs> down there is a girl. Everyone just shut up about the Vogue thing, okay? I have a plant versus now. Something that immediately strikes me in this clip is that Frylock is not scared really of the voice. Now, when he hears it, he kind of looks around and he looks up, but he's more embarrassed than he is scared, I think, that he has been reading Vogue. He, he doesn't ask, oh, who is that or anything like that? He just kind of starts just defending himself, which I think is very funny that, you know, Shake freaked out when he heard the voice. Anyone else would freak out when they hear the voice. And to my knowledge, Frylock had not heard the voice. I was wondering, maybe he heard it when Shake was in the pit, but from everything we see, Frylock, to our knowledge, has not heard the voice until it starts saying that, you know, yeah, it was in vogue, and, and yeah, Frylock just defends himself there, which is very silly. The next bit of information I want to discuss from that clip is the voice says that their PR department is amazing, and that really just makes me think that this is some whole operation. It's some sort of business or corporation or something, which is very interesting. I would have loved it if they would have been able to explore that in an Aquadonk side piece because it just opens up so many questions now of, wait, they have a PR department. What, else, what other departments do they have? How many people are involved with this? Back to the plot line itself, though, it's revealed that Frylock read about this in Vogue. Vogue is a lifestyle, fashion, kind of celebrity magazine, and it dates back to 1892, and when it was formed, it was just aimed to appeal to the upper echelon of New Yorkers, and that's still kind of the idea today, you know, it's like a higher living kind of magazine for basically rich people and people interested in celebrities. And that really makes this joke even funnier. Like, why the fuck would an article about this evil sandwich be in vogue? Makes no sense whatsoever. And just kind of elevates that joke. Not only that Frylock was reading a, uh, quote, ladies magazine, but that this was even in the magazine to begin with. Makes no sense. Very funny and a very, very good get for their PR department. I think I should reach out to the Broodwitch PR department and see what they can do for the podcast. So the disembodied voice says, oh yeah, our piece in vogue, Heidi Klum was on the cover. Heidi Klum, she is a model, businesswoman, producer, television host. I'm seeing that she was actually the first German model to become a Victoria's Secret angel. And she's actually of German and US citizenship. So she's, you know, 
living between both. She was born in Germany and breaking down those Victoria's Secret walls. So good for her. And yeah, apparently she was on the cover here. Now, you know, I went digging through Vogue magazine covers to try and see which issue they could be referring to. And of course, it gets a little interesting with anything Aqua Teen related that we look into as pertaining to the real world. From what I could find, Heidi Klum has never appeared on any U.S. Vogue covers. So right off the bat, it's like, okay, they kind of made this up. However, she did appear on some international covers because Vogue does put out issues in all sorts of countries. So from what I could see here, in 2000, Heidi Klum appeared on the Paris cover for October. And then in 2003, in April, she appeared on the Spain cover. And in May, she appeared on the Germany cover. So at this time, even though she had not appeared on any U.S. covers, she did appear on the Paris, Germany, and Spain covers. Kind of weird that Paris isn't France. It just says Paris. Anyways, it would appear that Heidi Klum's name was just kind of plucked out of the ether. They just picked some random model to be on the cover of this fictitious issue of Vogue, that this wasn't really inspired by an actual issue that one of them maybe saw at the dentist's office or or one of the guys who, who worked on the show their wife had or something like that. Seems like they just kind of made it up. But again, she was on some covers. It's possible that one of the guys had seen her on one of these other covers at some point. I don't know. Unlikely, but possible. There is an interesting implication here, though, because since Heidi Klum had appeared on some covers, obviously they weren't in English, but maybe Frylock is getting magazines in other languages. That's kind of fun to think about because he's so smart that he's reading all sorts of materials in different languages just because he can. But all right, the last thing we really need to talk about in this scene is that now Meatwad is going to plant the azalea bushes. So he just starts throwing them down into the sinkhole where, you know, Frylock and Shake are standing having this conversation with the disembodied voice. Shake's got that sandwich in hand. So you'll hear Meatwad throwing those plants down because you'll just hear like a thumping noise as the scene goes on. And of course, it's funny because he's not planting them. He's just throwing them into a hole. <laughs> They're not actually being planted in the ground. Anyways, let's jump into it. Listen. According to the Vogue piece, the Brood Witch is immortal. It cannot be killed or taken apart, but as long as you don't ingest it, you'll be okay. Don't talk while my mouth is full. So that is Shake just not caring. Uh, funny joke there, don't talk while my mouth is full, so nobody can talk when he's eating. But that's Shake not listening. He just starts eating the sandwich again, and now he's going to disappear into the other dimension. So remember, we're in a different art style now, and Shake's standing there eating the sandwich, and then a little figure is going to hop up to him. It, it kind of looks like a minion, obviously this being before minions were a thing, but yeah, it looks like a minion. It's pale green, like a really light green color. I suppose you might call it olive green or something along those lines. And it has one arm and two stick legs. Uh, yeah, it just looks like a pill, I guess, a, a light green pill. One eye, one mouth that looks like it's kind of frowning. It hops up to Shake, and then out of nowhere, it's going to pull out this giant axe. So you'll hear Shake react to that. And the, the creature is going to spin the axe around in this kind of cool show-off-y move, and it ends up cutting one of its legs off, which is pretty funny. But then he goes to attack Shake with the axe, and then Shake runs away, and he, he appears back in the normal dimension. Whoa! Hey, how's it going? You're the guy that keeps telling me to beware, because I'll <laughs> tell you where to be. <laughs> Out of my sight! Beware. Oh, what do you got? A sound guy or something? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's a good trick. I'm just gonna go now. Oh my god! So the creature's face during all of that, at first it looks pretty disinterested, but then once it pulls out the axe, it eyes the axe in a really cool, 
just subtle animation. And then it looks angry and it swings it at Shake. And that's when he runs away. Of course, you hear Shake says, oh, are you the voice? But it's not the voice because you hear the voice say, beware. But this little uh, figure guy, he doesn't move his mouth. He doesn't speak. So it comes out of out of nowhere. It's just a disembodied voice, of course. And yeah, Shake runs away. Again, how that mechanic works, how he's able to conveniently get away when he wants to, not quite sure, but he's pretty dang lucky that it works like that. Shake runs out of the dimension and then he appears back in the normal dimension, but he keeps his momentum. So he's he's like sprinting away from that creature and then he appears in the normal dimension. He's still sprinting and he runs into a wall and falls over and the voice is going to continue to talk to him. While Shake was gone, Meatwad still kept throwing azalea bushes down the, the hole. I count over 20. I can't get a, a great count on them, but I see over 20 down there. And looking up azalea bushes that look similar to this. Now, I'm not a plant guy. I don't know anything about plants, but I saw some at Home Depot starting at $20. So you got around 20 plants down there times that by 20 bucks. That's over $400 spent on these bushes. I can't believe Frylock shelled out all that cash for these azalea bushes. But, you know, I respect he wanted their place to look nice. Unfortunately, they are now planted uh, below the ground. They are sub-level azalea bushes. And I'm honestly surprised that he's just letting Meatwad do this. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot going on here that Frylock's probably concerned about. But you think he would stop Meatwad from throwing away $400. Anyways, enough of that jibber-jabber. Let's jump into the scene. Shake is back in the normal dimension, and he's scared as hell. Get away from me! Leave him! <laughs> I'm cool. Yeah, we're all cool here. I told you. Beware. Who are you? What is this? So sorry, that that is uh, Shake running into Frylock. He, he's just like aimlessly running around. He hits Frylock and falls back. Frylock is barely affected by this. I mean, his facial expression doesn't really change. And when he gets hit by Shake, he moves maybe, I don't know, six inches back or something. It's, you know, he's a pretty tough guy. Anyways, from there, we get an explanation from the voice, really what the Brood Witch is. And we get a couple visual cuts while he's explaining. And they really did this up in the Brood Rap Aquadunk side piece, where a lot of that podcast episode was me just describing to you all the different visuals we were getting, they don't really do that here as much. Now, the voice does a lot of explaining of what the Brood Witch is, but they don't really show a whole lot. What we do see, some of it is reused from the Meat Zone episode. For example, we see the skull with the the bat wings, I guess, coming out of its head. It flies towards the camera and opens its mouth, and we see the Brood Witch inside of its mouth. Otherwise, the only other thing we really see is in hell, there is a giant red cow with three heads. It has just giant udders. It literally is just standing on its two front feet, I guess, with the udders propping it up otherwise. And the cow turns its head towards the camera, or, or its three heads, rather. It has horns, and it's just a red cow, yeah. No pupils in the eyes. It looks pretty evil. But but yeah, pretty simplistic compared to the Brood Rap episode, which had so many different visual elements. Not really the case here. Real quick, I want to mention that cow. We actually get two separate concept art pieces of it in the bonus features on the DVD here. So this is something they really wanted to get right and kind of kind of shows like they have this cool cow, but then they don't really show anything else, even though there's a lot of explaining going on. So I really feel like in the Brood Rap episode or, or the Aquadonk side piece, they more had the budget and the capability to do all these visuals. I really wonder if Matt and Dave here wanted to have a bunch of visuals accompanying the description of the Brood Witch, but they couldn't do it. Like the budget didn't allow for it. So that's something I'll have to ask because yeah, we have these really cool drawings of the cow and they made the cow, but that's all that they could really show 
in terms of new art while explaining the brood witch which makes sense because this episode has like that whole other dimension that we go to and stuff there's so many visual elements of this episode it makes sense that they couldn't have a bunch of quick cuts of different things and the quick cuts that we get besides the cow besides that skull it's just the brood witch uh with like the little wings from the skull on it in flames and you can tell a lot of these animations are from some other tv show like the backgrounds at least so with that explaining out of the way, we're going to see a couple cuts, but not that many. Just just really the cow is the main thing. Let's hear and discover what this brood witch really is. It is the brood witch, forged in darkness from wheat harvested in hell's half acre, baked by Beelzebub, slathered with mayonnaise beaten from the evil eggs of dark chicken forces into sauce by the hands of a one-eyed bad man. Cheese boiled from the rancid teat of a fanged cow, layered with 666 separate meats from an animal which has maggots for blood. So you hear there, it's just so many descriptions. They're talking about like chickens and stuff. I just feel like they wanted to show what was being described, but they don't, which I'm thankful for as a podcaster now, so I don't have to explain 10,000 different quick cuts to you. Back to that cow scene, though, pretty funny because the cow is in hell. You can tell it's some sort of older animation as Aqua Teen likes to do, but then they just copied and pasted a bunch of the classic Space Ghost fire animations all over the place. I, I just love that so much. Such a nice touch that they'll take this old professional animation, but then put their own touch on it with this fire. Speaking of backgrounds, I want to bring up here that credited on backgrounds for this episode, of course, we have Bob Pettit, but we also have John Lau. And looking at his IMDb, this is the only episode of Aqua Teen that John is credited on. And he also is listed as an illustrator on the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. And then outside of that, he does additional artwork for 11 episodes of Frisky Dingo. And that's it. That's all IMDb has about John. And I just find this so interesting that he's listed on this episode as a background artist. I'm not sure which background. Maybe it was... The other dimension background, the Don Hertzfeld kind of inspired background. Maybe it's all the skulls. I'm not sure. Through some sleuthing, I found John's art station. So I reached out to him there and I'm just kind of waiting for him to get back to me. I did this really last minute and I don't know if he'll see it. The last thing he uploaded there was five years ago. So I doubt he checks this and maybe he'll get an email. I don't know. But otherwise, I'm not entirely sure how to contact him. But yeah, just really interested because I know he worked for Cartoon Network as per his art station description. He mostly did stuff on Toonami. And from what I found, he came up with the design for Tom and his assistant from Toonami, as well as the Meguzi animation block. So he was definitely in the area. And I don't know why he was just called on to do this one episode of Aqua Teen and they brought him back for the movie. So hopefully I can talk with him about it at some point. Anyways, let's jump back into our scene. You know, we have the disembodied voice just describing all the crazy things that are in this sandwich, all the ridiculous descriptors that he's using. Let's hear what Frylock's got to say about this. See, told you. I tasted mustard. Yeah, Dijon mustard. Well, how come no bacon? Bacon is extra. You call this a sandwich? You don't have bacon on it? There are no swine evil enough to sacrifice upon a bit of evil. And lettuce. Bed of evil and lettuce. There it is, the bed of evil and lettuce that they bring back in the brood rap episode. Just more discussion on the ingredients and, and all that good stuff. Shake, I like how he's complaining. You know, that's the whole fun part of this episode. And and they take this Aquatine concept and, and do it in a new way. 
Because the concept I'm referring to is, of course, the concept that the villains are never really that dangerous, or if they are dangerous, they're too stupid to really do anything with it. And that's the case here, but it's kind of like this object is the villain here, and nobody's taking it seriously. You know, Shake, he's eating it, but he's not eating all of it. He's complaining about the ingredients. He's just not taking it seriously. So I like that they kind of turn that on its head. So continuing on that thought, let's jump back into the scene where we have more discussion on the ingredients, the taste, etc., of the sandwich. I will say this. Bacon aside, this is the best damn sandwich I've ever had in my life. Eat all of it and you will suffer the wrath. I mean, I don't have to eat the whole thing. You can save a quarter. I suppose you could. Because the thing is, <laughs> I don't like crust on the bread. Now, a lot of people do, but not me. I usually cut it off right at the beginning. Especially if it's hard. The hard cut, it hurts the roof of my You're mouth. You're boring me now. So during this conversation, Frolic actually picks up a skull and he's just kind of examining it while Shake is going on about the crust. And even the voice at the end says, You're boring me now. Kind of interesting here. So Shake is saying that he likes to cut off the crust, but he has, you know, sandwich bread like you would get at like a Subway or something. I don't know how you would cut that crust off. Now, it makes sense if you're using sliced bread, why you would want that crust cut off because it's distinctly different from the rest of the bread. But in this situation, like you you basically are, are skinning or, or peeling the bread to get all that crust off. Uh, maybe that's what he does, but I can't really imagine Shake putting in that much effort into anything. A visual thing I want to point out real quick is I mentioned earlier that the light is like flickering underground there because of, of the light source being that flame but it is not applied to the characters, which makes sense, but also to all the azalea bushes that Meatwad threw down there, so they distinctly are just out of place, which I like. You know, of course, like I said earlier, it's endearing. Anyways, Shake kind of pointed out that he doesn't have to eat the whole thing. He can really just eat as much as he wants and then, and then save a little bit, and the voice is like, yeah, I, I guess you could. And then, you know, we got that whole spiel from Shake talking about, you know, bread and stuff. Everyone got bored, so Frylock is trying to wrap this up now. Uh, say, uh, since he's the chosen one and we're not, could we just sort of cover this back up and plant some azaleas here? Sure. Okay. Come on, Shake. You're gonna die. I go. Hey, who are y'all talking to down there? So Meatwad coming in late with the, who are you talking to down there? Of course, they've been talking to this voice for quite a while, but Meatwad's finally asking. Good way to end the scene there. Yeah, Frylax's like, all right, well, you're gonna die, Shake. And he's trying to take the sandwich away from Shake, but Shake won't let it go. So we cut to our next scene now. We are in the Aqua Teen's house, and, and we get our establishing shot of just the brood witch is duct taped to the ceiling. That's how Shake is trying to keep himself away from it, from eating it, because if he eats it all, then he dies. So in this upcoming clip, yeah, we, we, we see the sandwich on the ceiling. We pull back. We see Shake sitting on the green chair. He turns on the TV. Pay attention to the sound that's coming from the TV once he turns it on. And eventually, he can't help himself. He's going to jump up on the TV and try and lick the sandwich. It's a sandwich. Two pieces of bread and some meat. And it doesn't even have bacon on it. I don't need it. I got it licked. <laughs> and I would like to lick that sandwich. Just a little flavor. Just a little taste in my mouth. What's going on? So yeah, not a, not a whole lot to say about that one. Just... Shake is, he, he can't, he can't control himself. And I don't think it's anything inherently attractive or addictive about the sandwich. Like, I feel like a normal person would probably be okay avoiding this. It's just Shake's really weak will that is leading him to want to keep eating it, which is very funny. 
So something that you wouldn't expect from that previous clip is we actually got two visual firsts for the series. First of all, I believe this is the first time we see the ceiling in the living room. Now, I know in the shaving, we saw the ceiling in the hallway, but this is the first time we're seeing the ceiling in the living room, and we see that there is just one lone light bulb on the ceiling. Of course, the ceiling is all gross. It's all dirty looking and stuff. It's supposed to be white, but there's cracks, there's stains, what looks like water damage and stuff. But yeah, we see, we see this light bulb hanging there. The light bulb right now is off, but that explains where their light source comes from when it's nighttime. Although it appears to be nighttime in this shot, because out the window it looks to be dark uh, in the kitchen, but that's a different story. The other thing here visually that's interesting is I'm pretty sure this is the first time we see their remote control. All the scenes I look back on of, of them watching TV, they never have a remote in their hand. Now, in Universal Remonster, of course, we get the Universal Remonster, so if you want to count that, maybe you can. But this is the first time that I know of that we see Shake holding a remote, he's changing the channel with it. And again, I could be wrong about that, but I went back to a bunch of other moments that I, I knew of where they're watching TV, and I saw no remote control in sight. Notably, in Universal Remonster, when the Remonster is changing the channel, Frylock is right next to the TV, and he's like physically touching the TV to change the channel back. So yeah, I, I can't think of any other instances where they are really changing the channel a lot. So if you know of them having a remote before this episode, please let me know. As for what the remote control looks like, it's really nondescript. It's just your run-of-the-mill black remote control. Nothing really worth talking about. But yeah, two interesting visual elements on this scene that could really easily go unnoticed. I have to say, I really like how they brought in the voice saying, what's going on? It just really makes this scene very strange alongside, back to the TV now, the apparent sex noises that are playing on TV. Now, I tried to make out what Shake was watching. I couldn't actually see it. It's just too small and at too much of an angle. I could not make out what was on the television. And then when he's standing on the TV to try and get the sandwich, the TV is off at that point. So he's, he's turned it off. But it's just, it's just such a bizarre scene. You have, you know, Shake, he really wants the sandwich. You have these sex noises and moaning, and then the voice coming in, like, what's going on? It's just a very, very interesting scene, and I really love the way that they pulled all of this off. I think this is just such an artsy episode, not just in the other dimensional, you know, animation style, but even in this moment, too, is they just accomplished something really cool, I think. Anyways, Frylock is going to come in here and shut this whole scene down, thankfully. I mean, it's just, I, I really love that clip. I, I can't really overstate it. But Frylock's going to shut it all down and, and bring things back to reality here. And he's going to chastise Shake for even keeping this sandwich in the house. However, Shake isn't going to care. He's going to go grab the ladder and he's going to grab the sandwich and he's going to eat it. He's going to appear in the other dimension. The creature there is going to take a swing at him with the axe and then Shake will reappear in the house. Shake, get rid of the damn sandwich. If you keep it here, you're gonna eat it and then you're gonna die. No, I won't. I don't need a stupid sandwich. I don't need the sandwich. I need this ladder. Excuse me, please. <laughs> I need to eat this sandwich right now. I'm not gonna eat the whole thing. See? Oh, God. So that is Shake putting what's left of the sandwich, which isn't much. It's about a third of the sandwich, I'd say. He throws the whole thing in his mouth. He, he appears in the other dimension. Then he spits it out and he appears back in the normal dimension. There's just so much going on in this scene. Let's hear what Shake thinks about it. Okay, look, this is irritating. It's the brood <laughs> with Shake. You're chosen. I haven't paid taxes in six years. I'm not getting busted by a sandwich. Then you must find another with an appetite. 
for insanity. So it appears that the brood witch is some sort of uh, MLM scheme, I guess. You have to find somebody else to pawn this off on so that it stops bothering you. So maybe that puts my, my theory uh, to, to rest of that anybody else would be fine with this and that it's just Shake being weak-willed. Maybe this would affect other people the same way. I don't know. I I, I really have to think, regardless, Shake is definitely weak-willed. So it, it makes sense that he's like the perfect candidate for this because he, he will not be sensible and just, you know, throw the sandwich away or burn it or something. Uh, he's going to keep it in the house where he's probably just going to end up eating it. Real quick here, I just got this random idea. If If the sandwich decomposes, if it even can decompose, but let's say it can... Would the bacteria and fungi that eat it, would they go to the other dimension? I don't know. Anyways, I really like Shake saying this is irritating. Again, you know, this is supposed to be like a horrible thing, but Shake just doesn't care and he doesn't really understand what's going on here. He's just like, ah, oh, this is annoying to me. That That's what's going on with Shake. Not, oh my God, I might die. I can't help myself from eating this thing. He's, he's just annoyed. But as the voice said, he basically has to pawn it off on somebody else. And in the scene is Frylock and Meatwad with Shake. Shake is just going to try and pawn it off on Meatwad. He's going to shove the brood witch in Meatwad's mouth, causing Meatwad to disappear. Hey, you dumb. Eat this. <laughs> I that poor shit. I ain't eating jack. <laughs> You're going to let this guy scare you? How bad could it possibly be? It's a world of skinless blood-soaked nightmares clattering from the teeth that clatter from the meat of the guilty. Oh, come on, the guy's just jealous. Go on, <laughs> wolf it down, dog. Well, I don't know, I mean, is the mayonnaise fat free? You're a dog. Because, you know, it's not the calories that get you, man. It's the saturated fat. Wolf it, you mutt. Meatwad, no! So, that is Meatwad disappearing. I like that Meatwad's worried about saturated fat, even though it's established that he loves to drink his weenie smoothies, that he basically needs about one a day. So, now, now he suddenly cares about what he's ingesting. You know, besides the fact that he also eats sand as well. But kind of a, a fun throwback in the Brood Rap episode because in that one, Meatwad hears what's in it. He's like, nah, that doesn't sound good to me. I don't want it. And it's kind of the same situation here. Although this one, I guess it is gross what's in it, but it's not like, you know, monkey jizz like in the Brood Rap episode. But here, Meatwad, he's just health conscious about it. He's like, nah, you know, I don't think that's very good for me. I, I don't want to eat it. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't matter what Meatwad wants because Shake just shoves the sandwich in his mouth causing him, of course, to disappear to the other realm. What really sucks is we don't get to see what happens there. I, I, I just really want to see Meatwad in this art style. I, I really wish I knew who, who did the art for this. Uh, hopefully at some point I can find out. It'd be cool to like crowdsource that artist to, uh, to do one of Frylock and Meatwad. I just really want to see what these other characters would look like in that universe or that, that dimension. Back to the saturated fat line, though, from Meatwad. Red meat has high amounts of saturated fat, so he's basically made of the stuff, but he's afraid of it. Uh, kind of interesting there. But Miwad is right. Calories themselves aren't necessarily bad for you. I mean, you need calories to live. It's, yeah, saturated fat really is not good for you. So as dumb as Miwad is at some points, he's also, you know, spitting facts at other points. Back to our scene, though. Frylock is just glaring at Shake. You know, I figure he would, like, explode him or something for doing that to Miwad because he effectively tried to kill him. Uh, we know that he doesn't die ultimately, but Meatwad could have very easily died there. So what Shake just did was attempted murder, which I guess isn't the first time, you know, but uh, Frylock not as mad as I would expect, but it's all right because Meatwad quickly reappears in, in the normal Aqua Teen universe. He is okay. 
Meatwad then goes on to tell Shake that he actually had a good time in the dimension, which causes Shake to then eat the brood witch himself because he gets jealous. Meatwad at the end of the clip will say, no, he, he was making all that up. So very funny, very smart from Meatwad. Let's listen to it all play out. Hey, did you hear what I called him? He can't do jack about it. Hey, how'd you like Mr. Sticks? He was a real treat, wasn't he? Yeah, I just said you guys had a little running, <laughs> but he's a decent guy. I mean, once you get to know him. Oh, crap! <laughs> I know that guy was all over you with his axe. No, that don't sound like Jerry. Not a Jerry I know. Took me to Merry Christmas. Which is a strip club. Merry Triple X. Wow, so you saying it was fun? Hell no, that's some bitch had an axe. <laughs> I really, really love that scene. It's just it's just Meatwad firing on all cylinders, just being very intelligent, which we see him do throughout the season. And I love this episode. We actually get a mix of dumb Meatwad and smart Meatwad because we had dumb Meatwad, you know, with the Blair Witch stuff. He's throwing the azalea bushes into the pit, obviously not planting them, stuff like that. But then we get this scene with him where he's very smart. He very deceptively tricks Shake, but he also does it in a very funny way. That is, is one of the best jokes in the episode, I think. Both in saying that Meatwad was taken to a place called Merry Christmas, which is, is the, definitely the kind of place you would expect Meatwad to make up off the top of his head. But then he turns it around like in the moment into Merry Triple X Miss, a, a strip club, which is, which is even funnier. Now, of course, Meatwad reveals none of this happened, but that really had me thinking about how does time work in this other dimension? Is it really one to one? Is one minute in the real world equal to one minute in that dimension? It, it kind of suggests that it is because. All the time Shake went there, when we come back to the real world, it seems like an equal amount of time has passed. So I really think that's the case. So of course, none of the stuff that Meatwad described happening could have happened because he wasn't gone that long. In fact, looking at the clip, he was gone for less than five seconds. So I really think it's a one-to-one -one ratio, especially with the azalea bushes, because Shake is gone during an azalea bush part. He's gone for a little while, then he comes back, and there's just a little bit more azalea bushes there. So it really seems like it's equal time between dimensions, which really rules out anything that Meatwad says. Of course, apart from the fact that he said it never happened. So we're about to jump into one of the best moments from the episode, one of the funniest Aqua Teen moments probably, we go to the dimension and Shake is just going to be there chomping on the brood witch, eating it, while the creature from before who Meatwad calls Jerry, who isn't actually named Jerry, we'll get into that after the clip, the creature is there and he has a friend now. This other friend is a triangle. He is a, a similar color to uh, the guy who was called Jerry. He's just a little bit of a darker green, but he also has one eye. And yeah, a mouth as well, but no arms on this guy. And his his foot is essentially a line comes off the triangle and then the, the line bends down to the ground, like kind of like a knee. And then it ends in a little circle with a little white dot in the middle of it. So really simple design here, really cool looking. And these two guys are having a conversation and it's a very, very mundane conversation here. But of course, they're discussing these uh, macabre topics You'll hear once we get into the clip, of course, on voice duties here as the main character who who we have been seeing all episode in this other dimension. We have John Glazer and then playing the triangle guy. We have H. John Benjamin, both of them reappearing. John Glazer, of course, from season two 
episode four, Supercomputer, he played Oog. And then H. John Benjamin was in episode three of the first season playing Moth Monster Man. And both of these guys, alongside Isaac Hayes III, reappear in a scene together in the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. So very cool the way all that comes back around. Let's jump into this conversation. So I don't know. She's like, move your skulls to the basement because I got these drapes. I don't even get that. I'm like, honey, this is work. Are you serious? I can't, yeah, I can't put him in the f***ing basement. Yeah, I mean, man. and she's like, you know, can you put a tarp over him also? Oh, and no I just way. Felt like, no, I'm not. No. Damn, Damn I got one at home just like it, man. Yeah. Am I got a kid now? And so... Well, that's a whole other set of bullshit, I'm sure. Right. So Kathy puts the co-sleeper right next to my preserved brain collection. And she wants me to move him because she thinks he's not hygienic. I don't understand how there's such a lack of appreciation for that backlight coming through the glass of the jars that the brains are in and it just looks cool you've seen that why move it that's the point of putting it next to the window and right. i'm sure you've because explained that good, yeah. to kathy but she no, obviously doesn't move the it. bed but there's no you know there's a, i can't even argue with it Ugh, ridiculous so if i want to move the bed hey isn't it that guy what's with the toilet seat right oh what the jerry f- no we're cool <laughs> it's cool man we're shake, cool shake 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 so that is Shake. He's just chomping on the broodwitch the entire time. He ends up swallowing it, but somehow he gets out. And we'll get to how in a second here. Now, the interesting thing... Well, there's two interesting things about this scene. First of all, it wraps around to the beginning of the episode in a way that I never realized. And that's that we have these two creatures talking about their collections and how they're being chastised for where they keep their collection. Of course, in this instance, their collection are these jarred brains and skulls and, and, and all sorts of, you know, that kind of stuff. But at the beginning of the episode, we had Master Shake with his collection of Battlefield Earth Cups or, or Battlestar Earth Cups, whatever they're called in the episode. So kind of funny here that it's kind of similar because we start with Shake getting chastised by Meatwad to, to clean up his stuff. And that's the exact same thing that, uh, quote, Jerry is complaining about here. So I really appreciated that detail. But the bigger thing here is there's actually a deleted scene on the DVD of this conversation, but it's actually a lot longer. Now, I take it H. John Benjamin and John Glazer were just kind of riffing off each other, just kind of ad-libbing here because they, they did a lot of comedy stuff together before this. So they knew each other beforehand. It's a much longer conversation, and we actually learn that his name is not Jerry, it's actually Dennis, but it doesn't make it into the into the proper episode. I will put that full conversation at the end of this podcast episode if you want to hear the entire thing. So there's one difference right there for you, that the, the guy's name is actually revealed to be Dennis. And before I forget, in the credits, the H. John Benjamin character is called Mr. Sticks, which is funny because his wife's name is Kathy. The other guy's name is Dennis, but then his name is Mr. Sticks, which is funny. But back to the deleted scene, there's just more that they talk about. It's nothing super compelling, but it's definitely worth listening to. So make sure you stick around after the episode is over to hear that full conversation that they just trimmed down, it seems like, for the final episode. So at the end of the conversation there, Shake says, and what's with the toilet seat, right? He's trying to kind of contribute to this conversation. Like, yeah, guys, and why do our wives make us put the toilet seat down? Stuff like that. What I'm surprised they didn't do is have Shake relate to them in terms of their collections both being chastised. I think that would have been kind of cool if he's like, yeah, you know, if, if he agrees with them. 
because he had to face the same thing at the beginning of the episode. Kind of feels like a missed opportunity, but still, I still like the, the joke of, of Shake with the toilet seat line because that's such a fucking cliche, stupid thing to bring up. And he's like, yeah, guys, you know, women, even though, of course, Shake doesn't have a, a girlfriend or a wife or anything like that. And they don't even have a toilet seat at their house. So what is he even talking about? But yes, yeah, just such a fun scene. I, I just love what, what John Glazer and H. John Benjamin bring to that. So fun. And something I want to point out real quick is in the extended cut where we learn that Jerry's name is actually Dennis, Shake still calls him Jerry, which is which is funny that he fucks up his name. Anyways, moving on here, Shake does, he, he gets out of there even though he ate the whole sandwich. It doesn't really make sense until we learn that Shake picked off the sun-dried tomatoes from the sandwich because he doesn't like those. So when Shake fades in, along with him is a tissue with sun-dried tomatoes on it. Now, my initial thought on this was that this was an error because we, we basically, we see the Aqua Teen's house, we see Frylock and Meatwad there, and then Shake goes from transparent to fully visible while running around. And the sun-dried tomatoes do the same with him. I assumed this was an error that he picked them off at the house and left them there, which to me kind of makes more sense. But what I think they were actually going for is that he picked them off while he was in the Broodwitch dimension with, with Dennis and the other figure, even though we don't actually see him do it there. But yeah, you could kind of read it either way. Again, we have Shake. He, he runs into view from transparent to completely visible and the sun-dried tomatoes do the same thing. So, all right, yeah, Shake is back in the normal dimension and the sun-dried tomatoes have appeared in front of Meatwad. Let's hear how it plays out. Hey, where's the rest of the sandwich? Well, I guess I ate it. And I'm still here? Hey, victory is mine! Well, what about the, the sun-dried tomatoes? Ugh, yeah, I picked them off because they're <laughs> disgusting. The brood which cannot be taken apart or disassembled. Well, obviously it can. Because that's what I did. Well, you better put them right back. <laughs> put them back where? I ate the sandwich. It's gone. <laughs> Look, they're good. Yeah, you keep <laughs> telling me that. They're not. Little nice animation there with Shake. He picks up one of the sun-dried tomatoes and he flicks it onto Meatwad's head and it's stuck onto Meatwad. I honestly don't mind sun-dried tomatoes. And I actually am not a fan of normal tomatoes by themselves. It's just like a texture thing. But sun-dried tomatoes I could handle a little bit more. But I guess... It's not quite up Shake's alley. That's all right, because it saved his life in this case. I love the voice trying to convince him, oh, they're good. Try it. You know, it's just it's just kind of pathetic, both in terms of of how pointless the Broodwitch is. If you can just pick off pieces of it and not die because of it, uh, essentially, you could eat all of it except for one sun-dried tomato or even hypothetically just a, a crumb you could just leave out and, and you'd be okay but also this voice can't really do a whole lot to convince people however the episode's not over yet i guess we'll see how it plays out right it is worth mentioning here that in the brood rap episode there was a throwback to the sun-dried tomatoes because uh somebody in that episode i think i think maybe carl or somebody asks the brood rap oh what about sun-dried tomatoes and the brood rap says oh no i learned my lesson so there is character development in aqua Teen. don't let anybody tell you otherwise and yes, I'm not sure if I've mentioned it in this episode yet, but there is no Carl in this episode, of course. But as I found with the episodes without Carl, I find that like they don't need him. The episodes without him are usually perfect the way they are. There's usually just so much going on that I'm glad they don't just try and shoehorn him into episodes. And as I talked about in the Brood Rap episode, I really love that we got to see Carl interact with the Brood Rap because we didn't get to see him with the Brood Witch in this one. So it's cool that they 
20 years later got to include Carl with with this uh villain if you will very loose term of course because it's a it's an animate object although again in the brood rap episode it's not but I've already beaten that horse to death so moving on let's listen to the voice try and convince the other aqua teens to eat the tomatoes how, how about you uh no thanks fine <laughs> don't eat it I love the idea here that really somebody at this point just needs to eat the sun-dried tomatoes to then be killed. So effectively, they have a really powerful weapon at their disposal. But that also makes me wonder, okay, the sun-dried tomatoes are laid out on this on this tissue, this Kleenex or, or whatever it is, and there's juice visibly on it. Now, if somebody ate the sun-dried tomatoes, do you then need to eat the tissue with the remaining juices on it? I don't know. Just Just something to think about there. But yeah, I'm really interested in this idea of they could just throw these tomatoes in somebody's mouth and just kill them. I think that they should hang on to them for when the next villain comes to town. So after all that happens, we now get this really slow and kind of awkward scene where the the remaining characters, Meatwad and Shake, just kind of look around and then Shake jumps on the couch. He turns on the TV, starts watching TV. And, and Meatwad's like, you know, is the guy gone? What's going on here? Meatwad, he's kind of picking through the sun-dried tomatoes. I think he calls them raisins, which is funny. <laughs> they are not raisins. I want to mention Meatwad still has a sun-dried tomato on his, on his head. Let's give it a listen. Is he gone? I don't know. He's a voice. <laughs> Where is he? Is he in I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> I'm out of here. Worst day of my life. <laughs> it's, so, it's so random. Me watch just like worst day of my life. <laughs> oh my god. So what I really like here is the voice is like nobody knows if it's gone or not. It could just always be watching you for the rest of your life. Kind of strange. And a visual error there is in one shot. Shake has the remote in his hand and he's watching TV and then the camera pans to Meatwad for a moment then it goes back to Shake and we see Shake doesn't have the remote anymore so it's a pretty pretty glaring error at least in my mind but also something that it made me notice was that Shake's hand is actually wrapped around the remote so not only is the remote a new asset but I think this is like a new drawing of Shake's hand to be holding the remote which is interesting as well. Moving on to our next scene though some music is going to start playing and some balloons are going to fall from the ceiling, I assume. Uh, where they generated from the ceiling, I have no idea. But the, the Broodwitch voice is going to say that, that it was a test and that they passed. And something to note of the balloons here, we see a purple balloon. This balloon being the exact balloon from Revenge of the Trees. At the beginning of that episode, they have one single balloon that Carl pops. It is that same exact asset. So let's jump into that clip. One little visual thing I want to point out is I really like the way that the balloons fall from the ceiling and one of them hits Meatwad and it kind of bounces off his head really realistically. I mean, they did a great job with this. They just, again, I'm just blown away by how above and beyond they have been going on these episodes for a show as low budget as Aqua Teen. You know, you would expect them to cut a lot of corners and I guess in, in a sense they do and perhaps I am numb to that after watching the show, you know, in, in such depth for, for so long at this point in the past uh, year. But I just find that they keep doing these things that weren't necessary, and I just know that that's going to continue to be the case as the production budget increases and as technology evolves and allows them to do more for less. So let's hear this quick clip of Shake passing this test. Congratulations, you passed the test. You've fended off the last temptation of the Brood Witch. Really? Hey, why do I win? 
So we'll see what Shake won in a second. Uh, something I forgot to mention is that Meatwad, he had rolled out of the scene after he said, worst day of my life, and that he just sprints back in or, or just rolls really quickly back in as soon as he hears the music and, and the balloons come down and stuff. He's all excited about it. But we're about to see what Shake won, and what Shake won is a skeleton bride. Hell no, I'm not marrying this bag of bones. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. Seriously. So that is Shake back down in the pit from earlier, and we just see it's just a skeleton in a ratty, nasty-looking wedding dress, and that that was his prize, is that bride. Obviously, he's not into it. We actually do get some concept art of this bride. Of course, check the Dancing is Forbidden Instagram and Twitter, both of those at AquatinePod, where I will be posting the concept art from this episode uh, not a whole lot to mention with the concept art. It's just a, a kind of a crude drawing of a skeleton in a wedding dress. And, but there's some thoughts here uh, on the drawing. There's like some questions. It says long sleeves or skeleton arms. Like, do they want to have long sleeves in the dress or do they want to show her arms? Additionally, do they want her to have shoes or feet? Kind of cool to see, you know, some of the thought process that went into it. Something I forgot to mention is we also get a, a decent amount of concept art of the stick figures in the other dimension and a lot of the ones that we see in the concept art are a lot more detailed than the drawings that we ultimately get which i think was a great decision they went a lot more simplistic i'm not going to describe these to you they are in somewhat of the same style but uh, just a little bit more detailed in, in the heads and the faces i like what they went with but of course if you want to see the concept art they were toying around with ideas check the dancing is forbidden social media you can see it there Back to the concept art though for this bride, we can see they ultimately didn't go with sleeves and we don't even see her feet at all. So they just dodged that bullet completely. And the skeleton bride is holding a bouquet of kind of gross looking flowers. The skull has uh, lipstick on it too. Th this is just like, like on the surface, it's funny, but if you really think about it, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> like, what's going on here? It's really gross, but but Shake isn't too phased by it. He's just like, I'm not marrying this bag of bones. He's not into it. And the voice is going to pull the same trick saying, oh, that was a test too, and you passed. This is our last clip, so I, I kind of have to just explain everything now. Essentially, Shake wins free brain surgery. We then get a shot of, of Shake after kind of like questioning it. He's in the, he's in the Aqua Teen's house. He's holding the sun-dried tomatoes and he clearly has a bunch of stitches and, and stuff in the back of his head and, and his eyes are just wide open. There's clearly something wrong with him and there's like nails in the back of his head too that, like, like that you would hammer in. Doesn't make any sense. And he has a bunch of drool coming down his face, but, but he eats the sun-dried tomatoes and then he appears in the Broodwitch dimension where Dennis ultimately swings at him with the axe and ends the episode. All right, congratulations. I know that I said the last one was it, but that was the last temptation of the Brood Witch. You passed again. You're something else. Yes, I am. <laughs> what do I win now? Free brain surgery. That's what I'm talking about, baby. Hey, wait a minute. Now eat him. So that is the episode. Very quick scene changes there at the end, just, just from bam, 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 from being in the cavern to being in the house to, you know, being in the Broodwitch dimension and ultimately dead. What I want to mention here is that when when the uh, lobotomized, I guess, Shake is in the Broodwitch dimension, it is a new drawing of him. Although something that's interesting here is if, if you watch that very last scene in the episode, 
the characters actually look kind of rough. It's reminiscent of like an Aqua Teen uh, a storyboard or something. They don't storyboard the show, but they do these like rough animatics. That's what this looks like. There's this weird transparency even around Dennis and, and, and the Shake character everything. It looks like it was really quickly just kind of thrown together at the end. Kind of strange because they had some nice, smooth animations and, and drawings of Dennis earlier in, in the episode moving the axe around. I don't know why... This one looks so different. If you if you look at it, you'll know what I'm talking about. But but yeah, that's it. That's the Broodwitch episode. One of the greatest episodes of Aqua Teen of all time. I think just a great episode of television, regardless of if you like Aqua Teen or not. But before I give you my thoughts on it, of course, let's head on over to the Anime Superhero Forum back in the day called the Toon Zone Forum and see what people were saying the very night that this episode premiered. Not really any specific comments I'm going to read this time around, but first of all, a lot of people really loved the ending, the quick cuts, you know, that just quickly ended the episode. I agree. Very, very fun. And it's, it's a nice, clean way to just wrap up the end very quickly. Next up, there's a lot of talking about the Don Hertzfeld influences and some people even mentioning the specific Hertzfeld film called Rejected, which you can watch for free on YouTube. I will put the link to that in the show notes. I would definitely suggest it. Very, very funny. And I believe it was Landstander who says that it's it's a good basically homage to Hertzfeld without being a ripoff, which I totally agree with. I think, you know, they kind of put their own spin on it while clearly having its influence. It wasn't just ripping off his style, which was masterfully done. And I appreciate how they did that. Lastly, there's a lot of discussion on why this episode was held up so long, which I've mentioned, you know, this is production code, I think, 210. But it was aired as the 16th episode, so lots of discussion on that. But overall, people liked it. There were a couple people that didn't like it. One person mentioned no Carl, so that's why they didn't really like it. But overall, people love this episode. And again, it's one of the highest rated on IMDb and for good reason. So with that, let's move on to my thoughts on the episode. I feel like this one is really everybody who worked on Aqua Teen firing on all cylinders. From the voice actors, to the animators, to the writing, there's just really so much to appreciate from this one. And I like that the episode, like the main gist of it is Shake with the Brood Witch, but they do a lot to really have other things going on in the episode without actually having a B-plot to it, like a 20-minute show would have. And by that, I mean there's just so many of these landmark moments in the episode throughout the episode. So... Getting into specifics, we start off with the messy hallway, the the Battlestar drink cups or whatever the fuck Shake has. That's hilarious. Then Frylock has this clearly fake treasure map to plant these bushes that Shake completely falls for, which is hilarious. And then from there, the episode takes a dark turn with all the Broodwitch stuff. We get this whole other animation style, which is very high concept, very fun for Aqua Teen especially. And it's not like we just go to the other dimension once. We go there several times throughout the episode. We get that awesome scene that I gushed about earlier with the brood witch on the ceiling, you know, and the moaning sounds from the TV, the, the evil swelling music, the brood witch voice coming in. Just, just a really, really uneasy scene. And I think just done masterfully. And then we get the whole great conversation, which you just would not expect from H. John Benjamin and John Glazer, two just powerhouses of comedy showing up in the episode out of nowhere. And then finally, we get that whole quick cut at the end, you know, with the brain surgery and also just the wife and everything. Just all sorts of stuff are going on in the episode to make it memorable, all coming together in this just nine minute masterpiece of an episode. Of course, nine minutes when you take off the intro, the outro, all that stuff. So they just accomplish so much and it makes such a memorable episode, I think. 
And there's just never a dull moment for me, never something that I'm like, all right, let's speed this up. Just every second is used very effectively here. And of course, there's some great one-liners too with, with Meatwad going on about his press release and also Meatwad like, worst day of my life. I think the only one here who gets kind of slighted is Frylock, but he does get the moment of him reading Vogue that they kind of dunk on him for. So everybody gets some good moments in this one, besides Carl, of course. But again, I'd rather not have Carl at all when an episode is this strong. There's just no need for it. And of course, like, like I said, they bring him back for brood reps, so that's fun as well. So just everything I've been saying, it's just a, a 10 out of 10 episode for me. So no surprise that I'm giving this one five sun-dried tomatoes out of five. I just can't fault this one at all. The only like little dumb criticism I had, it wasn't even a criticism, was just like, oh, they could have had Shake like try and agree with with the two stick figure demons about their collections not being appreciated. That would have like really cleanly wrapped the episode back to the beginning. But him bringing up the toilet seat thing, I think is equally funny and is a worthwhile line as well. So I can't really complain about it. Just a fantastic episode. I think a great episode to introduce anybody to the show because it is just such a strong episode of television with just the uneasy underlying elements. There's a real sinister tone to this one without it being overbearing or in your face. It's like the more times you watch it, the darker it really seems. This is probably one of the artiest episodes of Aqua Teen. And, and like I'm saying here is, is I feel like that would appeal to a lot of people who wouldn't like a normal episode of Aqua Teen. Maybe other episodes are too violent or or too random. I feel like there's enough of a through line in this one that anybody could latch onto and get invested in. Plus, overall, the concept of, of Shake just wanting to eat this sandwich that is going to kill him is funny. So that's it for me for this week. It's so great to be back. Love talking teens. If you like what I do, if you want me to keep doing it and do it better, please consider signing up over on patreon.com slash dancing is forbidden or share the show, talk about the show, post about the show. I'm just some guy who works at Target in his basement talking into his computer. So any bit of help I get really goes a long way. Thank you to all the patrons who support this show. Shout out to our number one, the hood G tier patrons, Sean, Ian, Keenan, Captain Buford, Brian, Robison, and Carl. You guys can move my jar of brains any day of the week. I'll see you next week when we discuss the Aquadonk side piece MCP Pants University alongside over on the Patreon. We'll continue our coverage of the 2007 film. I think we might be having uh, two, you know, MCP Pants episodes next week because I think MCP Pants is about to show up in the film. So lots of MCP Pants with our MC Chris interview last week. Holy smokes. I'll see you then. Take it easy. So I don't know. She's like, move your skulls to the basement because I got these drapes. I don't even get that. I'm like, honey, this is work. Are you serious? I can't, yeah, I can't put them in the basement. No, I mean, man. So I said, uh, fine, I'll do it. I'll put them in the basement. I started taking them down, you know, and I'm moving them one at a time. All right, right. Right. And I'm just kind of waiting to see what she does. I want to see how she's going to react to it. Yeah. And she's like, you know, can you put a tarp over them also? Oh, and no I just way. Felt like, no, I'm not. Damn it. I'm not going to put a tarp over these things. Dennis, that's fine. your skull collection, man. I, I mean, know it's my skull collection. I worked hard to get these things. That's and I worked your thing. hard to clean that. them. Yeah. Fine. Fine.
I'll put him in the basement. Let's put him in the basement. But no, why cover him? What is the point of covering him if you're going to display him? If I can't display him up top, I'll put him in the basement and display them. But then right. put a tarp? No f***ing way. Right on, man. Right Absolutely on. Absolutely f***ing oh, not. Of course, yeah. Yesterday, this is the other thing that killed me. She's been on me for months, right, to do something about the ceiling because yeah. it is nasty. And I offered to cover it in my own blood. And she's like, oh, that's a good idea. no, what are you, crazy? Yeah, really. I was like, no, there's Listen. a solution. Here's the problem. This is what I want to oh, do. Man. So it's Let not me cover just... the ceiling in my blood and let's just get this over with. Yeah, so if it's not one thing, then it's the next thing, you know, and everything's oh, got to go her way. I, yeah, Damn man, I got one at home just like it, man. Yeah. Am I got a kid now? And so well, that's a whole other set of bull sure right so kathy puts the co-sleeper right next to my preserved brain collection too because i got right. the same thing you i got you know i'm got collectibles mm, at home right, yeah and she wants me to move them because she thinks it's not hygienic you know because there's brains in a jar the, i can't even believe with formaldehyde and so she doesn't want a baby sleeping right next to that because she thinks oh it might be harmful oh, but they're all on a shelf which i built of course and, and it's solid and it's sturdy and, and nothing yeah. is going to happen, but they don't want to hear it. Yeah. Because they're worried about brains so move the, being spilled on so, the baby. No, here's what I say. Move the co-sleeper to the other side of the bed. No, because one side of the bed gets more light. Right. And I'm like, well, that's why I put my, my brain collection there, because it gets more light. Right. So then just, okay, so I'll move the bed. No, I need the bed and everything. The thing that one, I don't, really, the thing that bugs me about that is that I don't understand how there's such a lack of appreciation for that backlight coming through the glass of the jars that the brains are in and it just looks cool you've seen that yeah well yeah, i saw yeah. when you were setting up i was like this is really and i'm cool. not moving that because i built the whole unit why move it that's the point of putting it next to the window and right. i'm sure you've explained because that good, yeah. to kathy but she no, obviously doesn't move the it. bed but there's no you know there's no, i can't even argue with it Ugh, ridiculous so if i want to move the bed hey isn't that that guy what's with the toilet seat right oh what the jerry no we're cool it's cool man we're shake, cool shake, shake shake shake